0: Welcome to our Faith Meets Mental Health podcast, a Ministry of Fraser Church. This week we will hear from Larissa Stansel of Stansel Counseling and Consulting in Florence, Alabama, who recently presented at Fraser's May 6th Mental Health Summit about the intersection of faith and mental health. Larissa holds a Master of Arts degree in mental health counseling with an emphasis on community-based counseling from the University of North Alabama. She is a licensed professional counselor in the state of Alabama, and also a national certified counselor.
1: Good morning. How's everyone this morning? Doing good? Good. So, a few weeks ago, I was at the dentist's office, and as I was thinking about preventative care, and we do a really good job of that with our teeth, We get them cleaned, we floss, we brush. And I started thinking about mental health. And I thought, what would that be like if we were preventative? All the junk that gets in our head, in our minds. Could you imagine if we stopped brushing our teeth and stopped flossing and didn't ever go for preventative care? Gross, right? So I'm gonna say if we use dental floss, maybe we should use mental floss. So that's what we're gonna do today. So I want everyone to do this. Put your hands up, yep. This is your floss, bring your arms down. Do like this, there you go, you guys look amazing. We are flossing out all of the misconceptions that get in our mind. I'm going to tell you about Kelly. So, early in my practice, a young lady came to see me, and her name is not really Kelly, I changed it. But she was a 30-year-old mom of two who was also um, a person of faith. And she had been struggling for years with generalized anxiety disorder. So, she ended up in my office because she had seen several doctors, And there was nothing wrong with her. And they kept telling her, you have anxiety. You need to go see a counselor. So she did. And the first thing she said is, I'm not taking any medicine. I just want to lean into my faith. Because I believe that if I hand it over to God, that he's gonna take this anxiety from me. Now, I believe we should all respect people and their faith, right? So I said, okay. But inside, I thought, man, we've got a lot of education to do. And so, that's what we did. For two years, I saw this person. She eventually did start taking medication because she kind of had to. And it was life-changing. But she would go on and off the medication. She would go to church and she would hear messages about if you're still anxious, maybe you haven't turned it over to God. So, she would come off her medication and then we'd hit the roller coaster again. Two years later, she finally decided I'm not coming off my medication and I may be changing churches. Um, and so, what I want to talk about today is Kelly is, she's one of hundreds of thousands of people at this intersection of where faith meets mental health. And when it's viewed as a choice, like either I have faith or I get mental health treatment, that's a place where condemnation and shame and dangerous behaviors develop. People can deny necessary treatment. And so I became really passionate, and so when Kim reached out to me and she was telling me about this where faith meets mental health, I got fired up. I'm like, yes, that's definitely something I want to talk about. So, whoops, I'm trying to make sure this clicker is working. There we go. Today we're going to look at three questions. And I think these three things, these two in particular, speaks to this secondary stigma that exists between faith and mental health. The first question is what is in our control and what is not? We're going to look at what is common versus uncommon. And then how can we ethically, morally, and spiritually respond to ease the tension and close the gap between faith and mental health? So what is in our control and what is not? As humans, we have resisted what we do not understand for years, everybody agree with that? We are uncomfortable with what we do not understand. And so, I think that's still very true today with mental health. And if I asked any of you, um, if someone came to you and they were experiencing arrhythmia, would you say, you need to take those beats into captivity? No one would say that. You would make sure they were plugged into a doctor, right? But it's almost like this question of control. There's this misconception. That we can control all of our thoughts, everything that's in our head. And can we? That's what we're going to look at. I think if we say we can control everything that's in our minds, then that negates the fact that the brain is an organ, just like your kidneys, your heart. And when other organs in our body become damaged, what happens? We go to the doctor. We need care. When the brain is not working properly, for a myriad of reasons, you could have a traumatic brain injury, you could have neurotransmitters such as serotonin, norepinephrine, dopamine, gabapentin, that are either changing or they're just not getting through. And when those things happen, we're going to see things materialize, like major depressive disorder, generalized anxiety disorder, schizophrenia, Alzheimer's, right? We're going to see it manifest. So I'm going to introduce you to some images because for the first time in the last, I would say the last 20 years, maybe not even that long, 15 years, we can see inside of people's brains through brain imaging. The Mayo Clinic has done wonderful studies Oops. Let me introduce you to the hidden face of depression. The Mayo Clinic did some studies, and what they found is they, they had a controlled group um, of people that were clinically depressed and uh, groups of people that were not depressed. So on the right side of the screen, you are looking at a non-depressed brain with lots of brain activity. Look at the clinically depressed brain. So, very little activity. So, when people are telling you, I don't have any motivation, I just want to sleep all the time, I'm not remembering things, I can't focus, I just feel sad, and what we want to say is, it's going to be okay, because you know what? Look, this, I'm going to learn this, this is what we see. We see their faces, and sometimes they're even smiling. I've got some clients who can mask depression like just pros. But this is what we see, and this is what they feel. How amazing is that to put it in that perspective? Here's one for you. Look at Alzheimer's. So on the left, this is the normal brain with normal brain activity. And on the right side, you can see the lights really starting to go out. How many in this room have aging parents that are experiencing dementia? Raise your hands. Okay, so you've seen this happen. But as a society, when we hear Alzheimer's or dementia, we readily accept that as a physical, tangible disorder and we expect changes in behavior. Agreed? But yet we do not do the same when we hear words like anxiety or depression. This is super cool. So this is anxiety. The University of Wisconsin-Madison several years back did a um, brain scan study and they used a a controlled group that everyone that um, was on the controlled side had a diagnosis that met DSM criteria for generalized anxiety disorder. And so the others were people without any mental health disorders at all. And what they found is that in these people with generalized anxiety disorder, there were weaker connections between the structure of the brain that regulates emotion and the amygdala, which suggested that the panic button is stuck on due to lack of regulation. Wow. See, we can now see things we couldn't see and we have this information. So maybe you're like me and I was wondering, well, why in the world if we have all this information, do we still have stigma? And I think it is because of this question, what is in our control and what is not? We can control some thoughts. In fact, we can control a lot of thoughts. You guys agree with that? Yeah we can. You know, in 2 Corinthians 10.5, um, we're told to take every thought captive and bring it into the obedience of Christ. And we should do that because we are able to do that at times. Philippians 4.8, Paul tells us, fix our thoughts on whatever is pure, whatever is holy, whatever is honorable, like a blonde skillet brownie with butter pecan ice cream. That was so good last night. So we had for dessert, it was wonderful. Um, and so, so then I think, What happens is because we do have executive functioning, we have intentional thoughts that we have control over. And so it makes this miry clay, even the lines are even more blurred. Because it's like, if I can control this, I should be able to control that. And that's literally the thinking. But here's what I would argue. We have these things called sinful thoughts. And originally, I was going to say that was going to be War Eagle, but I decided not to do that. Anyway, I just said it, didn't I? Um, but we have sinful thoughts. We just went through tax season, and, um, you know, we, oof, we pay a lot of taxes. And so, how easy would it be? You get this little thought, this little devil's right here, who's saying, well, you know, you, nobody's going to know. You don't really have to report that. Ooh. That's the thought we take into captivity and we bring it into the obedience of Christ because we know, as Christ followers, we should have integrity. Thou shalt not lie, do you remember that commandment? That's right, and so scripture, in my opinion, um, is always good. It's always for our instruction. There's so much truth in it and encouragement. So today, we're gonna to be focusing on the, the, the truth and the encouragement. But I also want to highlight this area of stigma. And so there's a difference between what a sinful thought is, that's kind of this one-time thought that we can bring into captivity, versus intrusive, unending, unending, onslaughts of frightening thoughts. If you've ever worked or you know someone that struggles with obsessive compulsive disorder and that disorder in and of itself can have um, obsessions of a religious bent and if you wanna talk about mind anguish and torment, I I've, I've worked with one lady and she would come to me week after week and she would weep because she loved God so much, and she would have these thoughts that would just flood her mind, and she would be cursing God in her head, and she didn't want to, and she didn't know how to make it stop, right? That's very different than should I cheat on my taxes. You guys following me with that? In fact, we were, my husband and I were a member of a church um, 15 years ago, And I was a mental health therapist at the time. I did not hear about this incident until afterwards. But there was a young man that joined our youth group and he had just been released from an inpatient facility. And he started having hallucinations, visual, auditory. And he was being told things. Well, they interpreted that because they were of a spiritual nature that he needed to be prayed for. And he was not, they didn't contact anyone for help. They prayed over him and we should pray. And you're gonna hear me say that a lot today. But, but it stopped there. And this is a true story. The, the young man was sent home with his father that night and the next morning the father had to be rushed by ambulance and was in ICU for a week because he nearly beat him to death. Right, there are mental health conditions, some very serious, that we have to pay attention to. So can we control our thoughts and mental functioning outside of mental illness? Yes, yes we can, and yes we should. Can we control our physical health? Yeah, we can choose how we eat, we can exercise, and we should do those things. But if there's a physical condition, a health condition, we have to go to the doctor. So another contributor that I think leads to this miry clay of faith and mental health is that both anxiety and depression are words that are commonly used, so they're prevalent, but they're universally experienced by everyone. And they are both in scripture. So, let's look at what that looks like. This is our next question. What is common versus what is uncommon? I'm going to tell you this cute story. It has nothing to do with anxiety or depression, but we just finished up a small group, and there was a couple in our group, and we were talking about golf. I don't know how many in here play golf, but we were talking about golf, and this couple had this amazing experience they got to go to the US Open. Now her husband is an avid golfer. She is not. So, they're at the U.S. Open, and he has to go to the men's room, which, by the way, is way longer than the women's line. Love that about golf. And so, he is away at the men's room, and um, while he's gone, she sees Stuart sink. Well, so, I don't know, if you don't know who that is, he's a professional golfer, but he also is from our area where we live. She worked with his mom for years, and so she sees Stuart, and she's like, Stuart! She's waving her hand, she's hollering, she's saying, Stuart, I work with your mom! I'm from Florence! And so, he finally comes over, and they're chatting, and she's so excited. Her husband comes back from the bathroom, And she's thrilled to tell him about this experience. And his face starts to turn white. And he says, dear God, please tell me you did not just do that. (laughs) Very embarrassed. She did not understand what is common and what is not in that situation. Let me give you some prevalence. The National Institute of Mental Health in 2020 did a study and identified 26.1 million Americans in that year had at least one major depressive episode. The CDC, as of 2023, right before I did this talk, states that suicide is the second leading leading cause of death in ages 10 to 14-year-olds and 20 to 34-year-olds. Let that sink in just for a minute. So this intersection of faith and mental health is pivotal because not all of these people are landing in our offices. They're in our communities, they're in our families. And so it's so important um, that we address and figure out how to do what we need to do. Did you know that the Anxiety and Depression Association of America has identified 40 million adults in the US that meet criteria for some form of an anxiety disorder. It is the leading uh, mental health disorder in our country. So, we, we experience it universally, which makes it miry. Who in this room has ever, ever experienced anxiety? Raise your hand right? Who in this room has ever had a time in your life could have been somebody broke your heart or your pet died? Who has experienced the blues being sad, right? All of us. It is universally experienced. And here's what we do. When we have a universal understanding of something, we do this thing called projecting. And that means when someone tells us they're anxious, we think, oh yeah, I remember what that was like. I remember when I felt anxious, here's what you should do. Because we are experiencing and interpreting it through our lens, how we experienced depression or anxiety, right? You guys follow me with that? And so we might give them advice, like just pray about it. I'll be praying for you. Do a gratitude journal. Think about everything you have to be thankful for. And they might do all of those things And what they still come back to is it's not working. Do you remember Kelly? You remember this bouncing that she was doing between faith and mental health? Well, so in preparation of this, um, I decided that I was going to search scripture. Because what I hear often, and, and maybe it's because I'm in the Bible Belt and so are you. And so we we encounter this intersection often. And I'll hear, well, you know, God says don't be anxious. You know, with prayer and supplication, turn those things over, and it's true. And yes, we should, but let me show you some cool stuff. So, here's a depression that I found in scripture, and you can find it in many other places, but for the sake of time, um, I didn't include them all, but you can see David, you know, he, he is guilt-ridden, and we all know he had some things to be guilty about, right? He's guilt-ridden, and he describes himself as downcast. Why are you so disturbed within me? You can look at Elijah. You remember Elijah, the story of Elijah? I mean, you know, I would probably be upset if I had to live his life too. But, you know, he he wanted, you know, God just take my life. Jonah, Jonah had a really big chip on his shoulder. He was very angry at God. So much so, it's better for me to die than to live, right? We've all had times that we have felt undone and overwhelmed, right? That we, we might even say something like that. Let's look at anxiety in scripture. So this comes out of Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount, and I have heard so many fantastic sermons on um, anxiety that, that are beneficial, that we need to use and cling, cling onto, because they're good stuff. But what I wanna look at is who is Jesus talking to? So, we're starting at 19 through 21, and he says, do not lay up treasure for yourself on earth where moth and rust destroy or where thieves break in, but lay up your treasures in heaven. You know, um, rust can't destroy that. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He goes on to say, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one or love the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So, what's he talking about? You can't serve God in money. This is why, therefore, this is why. I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you're gonna eat or drink. Isn't life more important than clothing or food? Like, Jesus is gonna take care of your needs. Let me give you a backdrop. Who's he talking to? I'll tell you who he's not talking to. He's not talking to a field full of mental health clinicians at a mental health summit who's who's wanting to learn about mental health disorders. No, no, no. He's talking to a field full of old Mediterranean peasants where in their time when they lived, less than 10% of the people held the wealth. Literally, their focus and their anxiety is about are we gonna have food? Is the locusts, are they gonna eat our crops? Is the drought gonna take it out? So it was a universal anxiety, a universal worry. And he's telling them you don't have to trust God. So he starts telling them about the kingdom and seeking the kingdom. And we skip down to 31. Do not be anxious saying what shall we eat or drink. Don't be like the Gentiles. Don't be like us. Right? unless you're Jewish and you're not a Gentile, but I'm a Gentile. And he says, your heavenly father knows what you need. He's pointing them to the father. You can rest and trust in him. Seek the kingdom of God and don't be anxious. We have enough trouble for this day. How many of you find comfort in that scripture? I do. I do. I wake up often this morning, believe it or not, I was a little anxious about getting up here and talking to y'all. But I prayed about it. And I said, God, you're gonna show up. I know you are, because you know my heart. And I'm really passionate about this. And so, <clears throat> here's what I found. This, this might blow you away. Oh, let me include this. This is Philippians. We talked about that. So, so Paul, let me just say this. In Philippians 4:6. Paul is writing from prison, and he's writing to the church in Philippi, and it, at that time, they had some stuff going on. There was some women fighting. There were some people who joined the congregation who was trying to tell people, no, no, no. You got to follow the law to be saved too, not just Jesus. So, there was dissension. So, they were anxious about all of this, and Paul's telling them, don't Don't worry about that. Because you know what? When we are anxious, do we have joy? Mm -mm. Anxiety steals our joy, because when we're worried, we're not feeling joyful. And he's telling him, and he skips over, and says, rejoice in the Lord, right? Find your joy back, give that to God. But what did Jesus do about uncommon anxiety? found it. This is amazing. So Jesus, this is in Matthew also, and I love Matthew, because Matthew is so detailed in his writing. And Jesus had just started his ministry here, and he is going about healing in the synagogues. And so Matthew, because he's so uh, detailed, writes in 24 what all Jesus is healing. And Jesus is healing um, various diseases, torments those who were demon possessed epileptics and paralytics and what did he do? He healed them So that jumped out at me. I I have an old school study Bible at home that's New King James Version. And so I kind of found this, that it jumped out at me. So I started doing some research. Like, what does that mean? You know, various diseases could be Graves' disease or a number of diseases we have today, right? But torments, he wasn't talking about like demon-possessed or epileptic. That seems separate. So look what I found. The Greek word, original Greek word for torments, is basanito. And what that means is grievous pains of the body or the mind. Anguish of the mind. The root word of torment means to twist. Wow. See, Jesus didn't need a brain scan to see into a tormented mind. Someone who is maybe depressed. Or maybe experiencing onslaughts of anxiety that they could not control. And what did he do? He healed them. What do y'all think of that? That's pretty cool, isn't it? So, what does that mean for us? Well, what that means is we have a responsibility um, to do what Jesus did. We have a responsibility to respond in ways like Jesus would. How do we ethically, morally, and spiritually respond to ease the tension and close the gap? Well, ethically, we need to educate ourselves. We need to learn and and we need to share these brain scans and this information. We need to have a better understanding. If you're a mental health clinician, then obviously you do. But if you are in a church or just a community or a family, you can find anything on the internet now. But there are sites you can go to, like NAMI, National Alliance of Mental Illness, or the National Institute for Mental Health and find valid, good information about what people are experiencing and maybe how to help them. You can find resources in your community, counselors to send them to, doctors to send them to. But ethically, we can't keep turning our back on it. We can't just keep pretending like, well, I'm just gonna pray for you and that's gonna be enough. Sometimes it is enough. Y'all agree with that? Sometimes it is enough. But sometimes we need to send them to a doctor. If, if anybody comes to you and they're having uh, diabetic issues, maybe their sugar's dropping or they've started to develop seizures, what are we gonna do? What would you do? Anybody? And you don't even hesitate. You don't think twice about answering that. But if someone comes to you and they show up and, and, and they're saying, I just, I, I keep praying, I keep asking God to take this from me, but I just can't, I feel like I'm gonna die. <laughs> I feel like something's wrong and I keep feeling it over and over and over and, and it doesn't go away, what should you do? That's right. You, you take them to help. You, you know, listen, in, in the, when Jesus was walking the earth, many, many, many people that he healed were healed because they were taken to him for healing, right? So as, as people, as humans, we can take people where they belong to get some help, right? Morally, morally we have a responsibility to save lives, I believe that. I believe we have a responsibility to floss out misconceptions that that scripture really means don't be anxious. And if they're anxious, they feel like somehow they have failed God, or God has failed them. Do you know how many times I hear that? And it fires me up, because you know what that is? That is just pure condemnation from the enemy who doesn't want people to feel better or feel helped, who want them to find reasons that God has let them down. But it's, it's not coming from, because Jesus didn't say that um, if, you, if you have obsessive compulsive or major depressive disorder, just don't be anxious. That's not in scripture. He healed them. And that's so key, so morally. You know, I would challenge everyone in this room if you attend church here, well, you're, you're pretty blessed. This is an amazing facility. I've been in awe ever since I've been here. If you have um, different churches or communities that you go back to, prospective churches, you know what? You need to talk to your pastor, talk to the elders, and say, do we have a pathway set up? Do we have a place, a person, that a, a kid or a young adult right can go to if they're having depression that won't leave so that we can kind of help usher them the way the way people took people who were hurting and sick to Jesus 988 the national suicide hotline should be plastered everywhere access normalize mental health you know I wasn't going to say this, but I'm going to. But there was a time in my life, and you're going to learn why later, because you're stuck with me later this afternoon too. But there was a time in my life I had so much anxiety. And I was like, you know, I really think I probably meet DSM criteria for a generalized anxiety disorder. So I went to the doctor. Aren't y'all proud of me? That's what I did, I went to the doctor. The doctor prescribed me Wellbutrin, and I broke out in hives. All over my body, could not take Welbutrin. And so the second um, stab was Zoloft, and same thing. <laughs> and so I decided, okay, Lord, I guess I can't have that option, so I'll just figure it out and you're going to help me. And he did. But, you know, I just want you to know as a mental health therapist, we're all trying to figure out how to do this thing called life. And there is nobody above. Mental health issues, mental illness, physical illness, we're in it together. So we got to create togetherness. I really wanted to, um, I wanted to wear a cape up here. And if I could have worn a cape with a white t shirt that said SB on it. Now, don't y'all be thinking anything bad. SB would be stigma buster, and I'd have my cape on, and I would have got all of y'all capes because that's what we can do. We can be stigma busters. Spiritually, what are we gonna do? So we've talked about ethically, morally. What about spiritually? Well, I'm gonna say we're gonna pray for them. We're gonna pray with them. And we're going to follow Scripture. So, that's what we're going to do. So, if it's common, universal to all of us, man, we're going to point them to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. We're going to point them to Philippians and other places in Scripture. And we're going to walk alongside them. And we're going to help them feel better, right? And we're going to be honest and say, man, I can remember when I felt anxiety or whatever. We're going to do what Jesus did. We're gonna teach them to look up, turn it over, and follow the sun, S-O-N. If it's uncommon, we're gonna follow scripture. We're gonna encourage them to look up, to turn it over, and we're gonna send them to the doctor so they can get healing, right? We're gonna make sure we do the things we need to do. That's what we're gonna do. So what I'm challenging all of you to do this morning is to put on capes and become stigma busters. Because faith in Christ was never meant to put us in chains. He came to set the captives free. And if we allow this secondary stigma that that thrives at this intersection of faith and mental health, then all we're doing is putting, putting gas on the flames, right? We're keeping it ignited. And we've gotta stop it, we've gotta extinguish it. So who in this room is willing to put on your imaginary cape and be a stigma buster with me? Yay, I'm so excited about that. So the other thing is um, misconceptions. I want you to use this information that you learned today. Um, pull up brain scans, show people, normalize what, what they're going through, but also give them the science behind it. Help them understand that you're not alone in this. And faith, is it's never a choice. It's, never, it's not either I have faith or I get mental health treatment. What is it? It's both always we have faith, if you're a person of faith. And if it's common, we treat it commonly. If it's uncommon, when in doubt, farm it out. If you don't know, send them to people who do, right? It, we should never feel, you know, when I, when, I, when I looked at the, and I could take y'all back there, but I won't, but I was thinking about all the list of various diseases. You know, we would send people with diseases, you know, to a disease doctor. That's probably not the right word, but, you know, and if, if they were, um, had mind anguish, we're going to send them to a psychologist, a psychiatrist, a therapist. If they have epilepsy, we're going to send them to a neurologist. Um, if they're demon-possessed, I don't know. Like, I, that's outside of my scope of practice. Well, wait, we would probably send them to Dr. Chris Montgomery. That's what we would do. <laughs> we'll let him handle the demon possessions, you know. But, but be, you know, be educated and, and be real and calm about it. If you're taking notes, write this down. Stigma thrives in the absence of knowledge. And that is, that is my quote. And it is true, true, true. You know, up in Northwest Alabama, I see people that sit on my couch daily. And I hear the stories over and over and over again. And I spend my time making sure that I equip them with knowledge, coping skills, if they're people of faith and, 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 I, and I see this secondary stigma, I'm going to be a stigma buster. That's what i I pull out my mental floss. And we're going to floss out some misconceptions. So, I think I'm finishing just a little bit early. Um, and so, uh, what I'd like to do is open it up. Um, here is my references for today. And then also, um, if you don't know about this, uh, this is a free PDF that you can download, and it's put out by the American Psychiatric Association. And they actually talk about a guide for faith leaders and you know, how to use that and implement it in your church. It might be helpful. But you know, is it okay if I open up for maybe some questions? Or would that be all right? Anybody have any questions? Could do a little Q&A. You want me to go back? Okay, yeah, sure. Yes. brain scans that you showed us, uh, were those spec analysis from somebody like Dr. Raymond, or was that something that was more blood-related? Uh, what kind of scan
0: was that? Because there's
1: multiple different kinds. Mm-hmm. It was a PET scan, so I'm not, yeah, mm-hmm. Yeah, so I um, believe they were showing them stimuli and, and the activity was either, that's, so the PET scan, I guess, was showing the, the regions lighting up. But that's a very technical question, I'm not exactly sure. Yes. who see Jesus, because this would be a fundamental question you would get, probably. Um,
0: they'll say, well, yes, anxiety is a real problem, but I also feel that the faith can heal me because I, I've i been told that my whole life. A certain kind of religious base would have that belief. How, how do you feel you would try to work with that without negating that? Because it sounds like it would get very, uh-huh. very... Um, delicate in some ways, where you,
1: how can you say it in a way that makes them still see it as not stigmatizing
0: and yet helpful? I just wondered how you would do that. As that a is a wonderful
1: question, and, and how I do handle that is I do it just in the same way if they presented with a physical health condition, and I educate them in that way, and I might ask, in your belief system, if you um, develop a kidney disease, are you comfortable going to the doctor? Or do you feel like you know you need to just pray about it and have faith? Like they again it's that stigma, it's that misunderstanding that what happens here is, is separate. It's not physical when our brains are an organ. So it is physical and we are learning that and we have this science behind it. So I would try to work on educating. I don't ever force people. I don't say you need to do this. Sometimes it's way more gentler than that. And, and I will affirm their faith. You know, and say, I think by all means, you know, you should pray. I'll be praying for you, you know, and maybe let's just watch this for a little bit. But if you feel like um, it's not getting any better, that doesn't mean that you don't have enough faith. And it doesn't mean that God doesn't want you better. It just may mean there's a different pathway for that to happen because God can use doctors, right? If someone has cancer, and they go for treatment, and they are, it's gone, they get it, and they're survivors, do we praise God for that? We sure do. And so it can be the same way, and I explain it in those terms. That's a good question.
0: Yeah. We have time for one more question. Oh, Yes.
1: It does, they do have, um, yes, they do have studies to show that there's genetic, you know, and so when you do a family history, it's not uncommon, you know, that that there will be parents or grandparents and there's a family history of anxiety. So, I wanna just say this, um, because I've always wanted to say this. So, I'm gonna ask all of you to raise your hands again. And we're gonna be mental hygienists and we're gonna floss out misconceptions when we go back to our communities, right? And I want you to imagine that you're putting on um, those capes and we're stigma busters and we're gonna floss out and get rid of misconceptions and we're gonna replace it with truth, encouragement, and hope. Can I get an amen? Yeah, I've always wanted to ask that question. Thank you all so much, you've been so attentive.
0: Thanks again for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and give us a review wherever you get your podcast. And remember, you can view these episodes on our YouTube channel as well as youtube.com slash Frasier Church.